urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine, nor to devote themselves to myths or endless genealogies, which promote speculations rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. The aim of our charge is to love that issue from a pure heart, sorry, from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Certain persons by swerving from these have wandered away into vain discussion, desiring to be teachers of the law without understanding either what they were saying or the things about which they make confident assertions. Now we know that the law is good if it is used, if one uses it lawfully, understanding this, that the law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane, for those who strike their fathers and mothers, for murderers, the sexually immoral, men who practice homosexuality, enslavers, liars, perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine, in accordance with the gospel of the glory of the blessed God with which I have been entrusted. Good afternoon, church. It is uh, different preaching outside, but it's good. It's finally starting to lose some of that heat. So uh, last week, we uh, started the new series on 1 Timothy. And um, very excited about this series. I think it's going to be really beneficial, especially coming off the Apostles' Creed, like John talked about uh, last week. Just We've uh, spent several months now looking at what we do believe, some of the foundations of the Christian faith, and uh, now we are looking at what does that look like to live that out um, day in and day out, and that's often the hard part. Um, so if anyone wasn't here last week, I just would encourage... Um, Go rewatch John or watch John's sermon. It's a great intro to the book, and it will help. But also, just again, encourage um, if you didn't uh, see the Bible Project video, it's worth watching, and um, it might be worth watching a couple times. It just really helps set the context, and um, I've found it to be helpful. Meeting, reading many books of the Bible, just uh, to watch that video throughout, because it just again reminds you where you're at as you're reading uh, a said passage. So so as we get into this, uh, again, just a quick review. Paul's writing the letter to Timothy. Uh, Timothy is a dear uh, child of his in the faith. He calls it a true child in the faith. He's a young man who's um, very dear to Paul. Uh, they've done ministry together for several years now, and uh, Timothy's gone out on some missions on his own. And currently, uh, Timothy is stationed at Ephesus, and uh, Paul's writing this personal letter to Timothy to encourage him, to exhort him, to direct his actions and what he, um, what his duties, I guess, or his primary um, responsibility while he is at Ephesus. Ephesus, um, and we see that right right in the beginning um, of the first verse we read today. Um, we can see that. Um, Timothy's task is not going to be an easy one. He is 
there to somewhat confront or charge certain people not to teach false doctrine. We know that that could be uh, a tender subject, but um, apparently uh, the church in Ephesus was getting off track. Um, There had risen up leaders in the church, and they were essentially teaching something different than what they had originally believed. Um, So today, in this first section of Timothy, it's kind of more of a general charge, kind of setting the scene and saying, Timothy, this is what you need to focus on while you're here. And it's a broad, um, kind of some broad strokes about false doctrine and about false teachers. Uh, In the weeks ahead, we're going to be looking at Uh, some of the specific issues in Ephesus, and we will address those as we go through this. But this week, it's more of a general um, overview of false doctrine, false teachers, if you will. And so what I want to do today is just make a few observations, specifically with regard to false doctrine versus true, sound doctrine. Paul refers to it as healthy doctrine. Um, and, And this, I think what I wanted to say that this One of the themes we're going to be looking at today is just the consistency of orthodoxy and orthopraxy. So it's like what you believe and how you act and how that impacts what you act. And this is a big theme, not only in Timothy, but also just in all the pastoral epistles. So First, Second Timothy, Titus, um, this is a big theme. So, um, And then I did also, before we get into the text, I just want to say, uh, often we at least I think we do in the American church. When we hear doctrine, when we hear false doctrine, we, um, we sometimes think, oh, that's for pastors or that, you know, that is that really that important? And so just for, I'm going to argue that it is very important, but just for the point of, as we work through this, when I say false doctrine, also keep in mind, just, just uh, false doctrine, false beliefs, any incorrect worldview or any view that is inconsistent with God uh, or God's worldview, if you will. All right. So as we get into this, let's look down at verse uh, verse three and four. So again, I'll just reread this these first two verses. Uh, Paul says, As I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus, so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine or to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies, which promote speculations rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. So what we see right right from the get-go is Paul, like I said, is encouraged Timothy to remain at Ephesus to address this issue of false teachers. This issue was not going to blow over. It was not going to solve itself. It was, it was clearly a very serious issue. We'll see as we read on that it was having widespread negative impact on the Ephesus church. It was uh, impacting their witness in the community. Um, it, 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 wasn't, it wasn't getting better. It, it would appear that it's getting worse. And um, Paul, or Paul is sending Timothy or I guess exhorting him to stay there in effort to... Uh, essentially turn things around in hopes of, you know, saving this church from going down a very, very sad path. And then it is interesting, uh, the ESV, the version that we're reading, it it talks about a different doctrine. Um, 
So in, in this passage, I want to be very clear that this different doctrine is, is definitely a false doctrine. It, we, we see throughout the book that it is actually set at odds with true sound doctrine. Um, in Galatians down in six through eight, Paul says the different doctrine is real, or I'm sorry, yes, in Galatians, Paul often refers to this different doctrine and he says it's no gospel at all. He says this different doctrine is truly not a, not a true doctrine. And he, and he goes so far to say that anyone that teaches said other doctrine ought to be eternally condemned. So let's not, um, misunderstand that this, this, uh, is not just something different. It's definitely false. And throughout the book of Timothy, he affirms that it's, uh, contrary to God. Um, as we read down though, we also see that not only are they teaching, but at the beginning of verse four, we see that they are devoting themselves to myths and endless genealogies. So, um, what is this endless genealogies? Likely this is actually referring to old Testament texts. So it's interesting. These guys were not, uh, necessarily introducing something uh, like random, some teaching, but they were likely referring to the Torah, but they were, I guess, if you will pontificating about, uh, these old Testament texts about genealogies. And basically all of this was promoting speculation. It was distracting from God's work. They, uh, it, it was not encouraging the work of God. It was leading only to just further and further speculations. And, Paul says that this is in contrary to God's work, which is by faith. So the first observation that I want to just draw our eyes to is that false doctrine, its origins are often not based in the Lord. So the origins of false doctrine are the opposite of sound doctrine. False doctrine actually primarily flows from misplaced faith. And so that's what we see this at the end of verse four, Paul, Paul, I guess, uh, counters with the opposite of this is stewardship from God, which is by faith. I think false doctrine, this, I guess, this misplaced faith. Sometimes it can be deliberate and we, we see a little bit of that. And sometimes it can be more subtle and it, you, you can almost be led astray when you're not paying attention. And so quickly, let's just look at those um, in this text because often I think that false doctrine flows from a blend of those. Maybe our sinful dire, desires lead us slightly off track, but then we, we just get distracted. We get once we get our eyes off of God, once we get our eyes off of God's word, we often can be led farther and farther astray. So the first thing, let's look down at verse seven. We see, um, well, actually let's start at verse six. It says these certain persons by swerving from these, that is good sound faith, have wandered away into vain discussion desiring to be teachers of the law without understanding either what they are saying or the things about which they make confident assertions. 
So the first thing we see is that they have this desire to be teachers of the law. And so just to give the context, in this community, it was a very religious community, and being a teacher of the law, that was a prestigious prestigious position. Um, it was not, you know, John Fisher serving at a, a small church. In that culture, uh, pastors were highly regarded. They were sought out for wisdom. They would often accumulate followers and they would often actually make a ton of money. Um, it is kind of what we think of when we seek, uh, when we see seeker churches in, in, you know, I won't, won't name names, but we know the, there's pastors in the U S and, and across the world that have, you know, thousands and thousands of followers and they say the right things that encourage people to come. And they often actually become quite famous through their pastoral role. And we see that that is the case with um, these false teachers. To further drive this home, if you turn farther ahead in Timothy to chapter 6, um, and then look down at verse 3, um, we, we get a little more color on these false teachers if you will. So chapter six, verse three. So Paul says, if anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, he is puffed up in conceit. He is puffed up with conceit. So we see pride there. And he understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words which produce envy, dissensions, slander, evil suspicions, and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth, imagining that godliness is a means of great gain. So here again, we see that these teachers, they, they had their mind on the dollar signs. They were uh, hoping that they could move up in status in the uh, Ephesus community or the um, community in the church there in Ephesus. And they were definitely hoping that, you know, they could make money, that they could monetize this, this situation. And again, we see this in our community uh, or our, in our, you know, world and our current culture where with, with certain pastors. So, um, but then, the, like, like I said earlier, sometimes it is also more subtle. So if you turn back to chapter 1, verse 6, um, we just read this, but it says a certain per person's by swerving from these. So again, that's pointing to the list or behind, which is, you know, uh, sincere or good conscience, sincere faith. By swerving from these, they've wandered away into vain discussion. So they, this group, you, you, when you, I guess the word wandering kind of has the connotation that they, they've drifted. Um, they started devoting themselves to these myths and these endless genealogies. They, this is not at the heart of God. If you read the Torah, if you read the Old Testament or the New Testament, these genealogies and speculations about whatnot, these type of things, they're not at the heart of God. We see kind of the same tune as uh, Jesus' accusation of the Pharisees in Matthew 23. Um, you'll recall he calls out the Pharisees for, uh, I'm just going to read it real quick. He says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You tithe mint, dill, and cumin, 
and neglect the weightier matters of the law, justice, mercy, faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others, you blind guides, straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. So you see, these false teachers, like the Pharisees, they did not know their God. They are in the church, they read scripture, and yet they did not know God. One commentator named Walter Lightfield, uh, he said that false teaching arises from disbelief in what God has revealed. And I might insert into that disbelief and disinterest. And so we see this with these false teachers. We see them placing their faith on other things other than God. Some of it possibly intentional, where they want selfish gain. They want uh, to monetize their role in the church, and they want power. But also some of it just, it might even be boredom. They are not excited about the things of God. They don't believe God's word, and they actually drift into you know, pontificating about this, that, or the other things. And specifically in this case, it's myths, it's genealogies. How could this have been avoided? How can, how can we avoid this? How can we avoid false ta- doctrine from the pulpit? How can we avoid errors in our own beliefs? Paul tells us uh, in verse 4 and 5, so... Towards the end of verse 4, he says, in contrast, he says, rather than stewardship from God, that is by faith, the aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart, a good conscience, and sincere faith. So again, we, we see faith in there twice. So it's a faith in God. It's a belief in God. So appropriately placed Faith in God is how we can avoid drifting into false doctrine. We see this with Paul. His faith is not in himself. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees, as we know. He was, um, you know, as righteous as one could be prior to coming to the Lord from a Jewish perspective. But when God saves him on the road to Damascus, he essentially rejects all of that. He calls it all loss. For the sake of knowing Christ, he says. His love for God flows from a faith, a conviction regarding what God is doing. He believes God and his word. His intentions are pure. Therefore, the gospel he preaches is the gospel about God, is about Jesus. You see that down in... In, at the very end of this passage, down in verse 11, it's the, the gospel of the glory of the blessed God. Sound doctrine makes much of God rather than making much of self. That is um, so important for identifying true versus false. False doctrine often puffs up, makes much of man, whereas sound doctrine, healthy, good doctrine, makes much of God. As we read, study, listen to good preaching, teaching, the result should be an increase in our faith in God and a lo- our love for God. To quote Lifefield one more time, 
with regard to this topic, he says, one, so the, the one who is seeking God, one should think and act out of a confidence in what God is doing. That is, that is who we as the people of God want to be. We want to be a people who think, talk, act out of a confidence in what God is doing and a confidence of who God is. Both our preaching and how we talk to one another should be rooted, not, not obviously, not in self-interest or even in our own like passions for certain topics, but we should be all about what God deems is important, what, what, he, what he values in his word. We are so fallible, fallible. We must stay close to God's word. Our preaching should be grounded in faith in Jesus and appropriate understanding of his word. Again, this is just definitely not to beat this, but this is something we see in our church so, so much. Church leaders, church attendees often drift from sound doctrine with the result of people falling away, a significant loss in faith. Uh, I know many are um, listening to the podcast, The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill right now. And I think we see in that story up at Mars Hill Church, um, we see a man who drifted from the faith. He got his eyes off the ball. He got, he's got, he got his intentions on, on himself. And he, he loved God, absolutely. He, he's, he's definitely a believer. I mean, I don't know his heart. But you know, he's, he is a, God, a person that loves God, but he drifted from the faith. Similarly, these Ephesians, these false teachers, they were all about the Torah, but they didn't know much about God's heart. They didn't know much about um, who he was. So the second, uh, so, the, so just to wrap it up, the first point is false doctrine flows from misplaced faith. The second, second item I just want to draw our attention to is that false doctrine often... Um, results in misplaced or um, misapplied life. We see that the, the result, the harvest of these false teachers, what are the things it names? In verse 4, it says useless speculations. In verse 6, it notes uh, wandering away into vain discussion. In chapter 6, we looked at the, the, it was creating divisions. It was creating disunity. This is interesting because these individuals in Ephesus were getting their doctrine wrong and it logically follows that their teaching and instruction were resulting in actions that were outside of God's will. The result of their influence was promoting useless speculations, vain discussions, and dissension. If we look down uh, at verse 8 through 10, um, Paul says, Now we know that the law is good. So he's affirming, I'm not saying that the Torah is not good. Paul's making it being abundantly clear. The law is definitely good. But one must use it lawfully. Understand this. 
The law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane, for those who strike their fathers and mothers, for murderers, the sexually immoral, men who practice homosexuality, enslavers, liars, perjurers, and whatever, whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine. It's interesting. Up until that point, I believe all the false teachers would, and the, and the church attendees would agree. This list of vices and list of sins, it, it, well, it, it corresponds to many of the uh, Ten Commandments. We see a lot of carryover in these items, in each of these vices. It can be tied to one of the Ten Commandments. But then Paul adds on that last section. Along with all these vices, he says, and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine. He's essentially like looping these false teachers in with sexually immoral men who practice homosexuality, perjurers. He's looping them in saying, as well as you, this is the, the Torah actually speaks about anything that is contrary to sound doctrine. As we read in uh, chapter 6, so I'm just turning back to that just real quick, it says that these individuals had a craving for controversy and quarrels about words. I find that very interesting. So these people are teaching a false doctrine, and it's creating controversy. It was not promoting the work of God, but is promoting dissension, disunity. So what are the results of sound doctrine? How does this, so we're talking about false doctrine, but how does that correspond to sound doctrine? The the harvest of the false teachers is set at odds with the harvest of Timothy and Paul's ministry. And we see in verse, the end of verse 4, that the result of godly ministry, the result of good, I shouldn't say godly ministry, the result of good doctrine is stewardship from God, that is by faith, and the aim of our charge, that is the goal of our charge, is love. So the result of good doctrine is actually love. And this is very, again, this is very consistent with what we see from Paul. Remember in Romans 13, Paul says, uh, speaking of loving your neighbor, he says this is the fulfillment of the law. We know that Jesus, his first and second greatest commandments, love God, love your neighbor. This love, though, we we talk a lot about love in the church, talk a lot about love in in just in society. And so just real quickly, I just want to, Remind us, love, the love that Paul is talking about, the love that is created by a true understanding of God's word is not emotional, but is grounded deep, deep in the heart. This is a love of conviction and results and actions. Like Paul says, he says his love is flowing from a pure heart, a good conscience, sincere faith, Paul knew God and it was driving him to act out in love. 
He desires for the Ephesians to truly know God. He wants love to abound in their community. I wanted to quote Song of Solomon 8, verse 6 and 7, because I love this passage with regard to love. It's, this is the kind of love that we, we want to love our neighbors with. Solomon says, Love is strong as death. Its jealousy is fierce as the grave. Its flashes are flashes of fire and the very flame of the Lord. Many waters cannot quench love. Neither can floods drown it. This is the kind of love that we want to have. We want to have this for God. We want to have this for our neighbors. This flows from sound doctrine. I said, like I pointed out earlier, Paul laid down his life in service to the Lord because he loved God. When we truly love God and his word, the result will be that we are driven out. We will speak and speak truth. We will share truth with our neighbors. Rather than just being nice and being liked by people, we will speak in a way that edifies them. It drives us to hold up conversations about salvation with those who are perishing. And it specifically drives us to take action to further God's redemptive work. So what does this mean for us? I there's a lot here and there's so much so much application we could pull from this and i i prayed a lot trying to figure out okay lord what should what's important for us at refuge right now like cuz there's there's so much good good things in this in this passage and also just in in this first timothy i think it's going to be an excellent series my first prayer is that refuge that we may be a people who have a high regard for God's word and for sound doctrine. As we've seen in today's passage, some of the church members got off track in their doctrine, which in turn led to futility and dissension and many other destructive things as we, as we will see in the weeks ahead. And this principle holds true today. If we do not have a proper understanding of God, we will never be able to appropriately live out our faith. We will not be able to appropriately live out the gospel. It's interesting, over the past few, I mean, I shouldn't speak like I'm not an expert, but it seems like over the past few decades in the American church, and I say the American church because I don't know about the worldwide church, but the American church has definitely veered farther and farther from sound doctrine. Um, someone who wasn't intelligent, and I don't know who that person was, but said that doctrine divides, but love unites. That is directly the opposite of what Paul says to Timothy. This is exactly the opposite of what we just looked at. This passage says that actually sound doctrine unites it promotes love in the body it promotes love that goes out it it promotes a love that pursues people paul's love for 
Ephesus encouraged him to send Timothy to promote this or to, to reach out to this church, not just to, oh, cut bait, like they're going down a path of destruction. I'm going to just move on and harvest where people want to hear the gospel, where he, wherever he was working. It, no, his love prompted him to action. May we, a refuge, be a people who care greatly about sound doctrine from the pulpit and also in our personal lives. All right, parentheses. If you ever hear false doctrine or something that you think is inconsistent with God's word from this pulpit, start with going to John. But if he's unavailable, no, please, I, I, I mean this with my whole heart. Please, church, if you hear false doctrine or anything that you believe is inconsistent with God's word, please come talk to us. We are fallible. I personally am wholly capable of error. My wife and my kids can vouch tenfold about that. And I, this hour or whatever, half hour up here is no different. In fact, I would say, I would go so far as to say, our role as family members, we are in this community, our role as family members is to help one another with blind spots, avoid pitfalls, um, to help each other out. If I'm going down a path of destruction in any area of my life, I want someone to come alongside me and help me out because I, I, I don't want to end up with a shipwrecked faith as we see some in Ephesus end up going so far down. Paul says... Um, Later in verse one, he, or chapter one, he says, by rejecting these, some have made shipwreck of their faith. I don't think anyone here wants that. And I think gosh, in, our, in our community or our society, we've like looked down so much on um, a gentle, you know, confrontation or a gentle like just, hey, be careful here. Friends, we're a family. This happens all the time in my family. Uh, my kids, you know, we... we Confront when someone's doing something, uh, something in a way that is inconsistent with God or, you know, unbeneficial. So, and parentheses. The second application point that I, I, so first is, let's be a people who regard highly God's word and sound doctrine. The second point I just wanted to say is, if we truly want to be these people who understand God, who love God, then we must rightly order our faith and our values in line with God. Uh, again, I will quote, uh, I'm not sure who said this, but it's a good quote. Everyone is placing their faith in something. And that is so true. We are all placing our faith in something. I asked myself this week and I ask you, what, what are you placing your faith in? What are you devoting yourself to and feeding on? The false teachers in Ephesus were feeding on and devoting themselves. It literally says devoting themselves to myths and endless speculation. How about you? What gets your highest affections and your devotion? If we're ever going to be 
people who rightly know God, we must adjust our inputs. So I'm just going to be real practical here. Many of us have no problem, and I say including myself, listening to two-hour podcast and reading news for 45 minutes a day, and yet try to squeeze devotions of Bible reading and prayer 15 minutes. No wonder that we are somewhat often being formed by our society. It's no wonder that we elevate man's values over God's values. And I'm not saying that universally. I'm just saying that this is how drifting happens. And I'm not saying you should read your Bible for three hours a day. I'm just saying, where, where, where are you putting your devotion? Where are you putting your, um, your earnest energy? Do you want to know God? Are you seeking to know God? Are you seeking to stay on top of the latest trend, stay on top of the news, which is impossible? Um, the great thing about God's word is there's just one book. We don't, have to, we don't have to go too far. It's a book. It's all in a book. We can talk to God. We can do it anytime. It's simple. I'm not saying it's, it's easy, but it's simple. So I'd invite the worship team to come up if you guys want to come up and get ready. Um, so in conclusion, just to land this plan, we talked about this theme of integrity of doctrine, integrity of life. You know, we talked about orthodoxy, orthopraxy, you can say beliefs and character. The point is, and I, I guess the point just to drive home today, is that we need both. We cannot be a people who, you know, knows God's word and doesn't live it out. We have a great name for them, hypocrites. And all of us have been hypocrites from time to time. Conversely, though, we also can't correctly live out God's word and consistently with his character if we don't know him. We are all tend towards false beliefs about God. We all tend towards making God into someone that we relate with. That's why we need fellowship. That's why we need good preaching, good, good study of God's word so that we can truly know God and then live out his character in the world. Jesus says that you will know a tree by its fruit and may refuge be just a people with integrity of doctrine and integrity of life.